do in the parsha this week is a portion of Chukas. Um, give a little bit over from the Sicha in uh, Chukas, in volume 18, the third Sicha. I'll give her a little bit of that Sicha. I also want to talk a little bit about uh, Gimel Tammuz, which is uh, just this past Shabbos. Uh, uh, Gimel Tammuz, you know, of course, is the Yorzai of the Rebbe. Uh, this was 24 years now. It's kind of hard to believe 24 years yeah. that we say that, but that's. Uh, uh, but Gimel Thomas was also um, uh, the previous Rebbe when he was arrested in 1927. Um, so originally they were going to actually uh, put him to death. That was the uh, verdict. But uh, on the third day of Thomas, they exchanged the verdict instead of. The death penalty. They were going to send them away to uh, exile, Kastama. Wasn't the worldwide pressure on? Yes, the yes, government? yes. It was I mean, that was the natural way, but Hashem had Rachmanus yes. because uh, Russian did not necessarily cared much about what the world said at that time. Um, and um, um, but and then the twelfth and the thirteenth day of Tammuz, which was uh, nine, ten days later. He was actually totally freed, and eventually he left the country and came to the United States. Eventually, till after the war, you know, middle beginning of the war, he was extracted from from Europe, from Warsaw, from Poland. You know, it was the whole story. But um, I want to touch a little bit about you know about the third day of Tammuz. I want to touch about from the Sicha. But um, um, the Rebbe over here discusses. We know that we read in this week's parsha. We read about. Uh, the passing of uh, Miriam. Uh, we read about the passing of Aaron, actually, in the Parsha. And um, together with the passing of uh, Miriam and the passing of Aaron, there were certain uh, special uh, that special things that were in the desert with the Jews that all of a sudden stopped. We find, like, uh, when Miriam dies, all of a sudden there's no water anywhere. Why? Because as our sages tell us that the well of water that was came in the merit of of Miriam. But then eventually what happened? There was no water there. So the Jewish people complained. And then what happened? The whole story where Moshe Benu beat the stone instead of speaking to the stone. But eventually the water came out and so it turns out that the water came back in the merit of Moshe Rabbeinu, because it says that eventually when Moshe Rabbeinu passed on, Rashi brings down, also that water ceased at that point already when Moshe Rabbeinu's death. So it means that after Miriam passed away, her privilege, her merit uh, ended with her passing, and then there was no more water, and it came back because of the of Moshe Rabbeinu. He brought it back to, until Moshe Rabbeinu passed on. Ironically, yeah. Yeah. But that was for, not for the water, that was for beating the rock instead of speaking to the rock. Yeah. yeah. Do you know how many days from the time Moshe died to when the Jews actually went in to the land? Of yeah. The Jews? Well, so the Jews, I mean, it, that's known because they, he died on the seventh day of Ador. Right. And uh, the Jews passed, uh, you know, on Rosh Chodesh Nisan and Yeshua. We really have to know the exact number of Hendechesh, but it was like uh, 30 within a month. Yeah, within a month. Within a month. And, uh, and the old and Rashi calculates it in the, the, in the Navi in Yeshua. It's already been calculated. Uh, actually, that, that's the way we know that Moshe Rabbeinu passed away on the seventh day of Adar is 
because we back it up, you know, while, while the morning, the 30 days of mourning for Moshe Rabbeinu is the middle when they send the spies, you know, but that, that, that's been calculated. But in any event, over here we see clearly that the, um, that the water ceased and then it came back in Moshe Rabbeinu's merit and then it, it, after Moshe Rabbeinu's passing it stopped also. Now, another thing also took place and that was when Aaron passed away. It says when Aaron passed away, all of a sudden there was uh, the Kanani hurt and they went out to war. So Rashi says over there uh, that uh, the glories, uh, honorable, the clouds of glory that used to surround uh, the Jewish people, they all of a sudden they uh, stopped with seemingly with Aaron's passing. Now in the Gemara, in the Talmud, it says that they too came back in the merit of Moshe Rabbeinu. Um, uh, Moshe, when Aaron passed away. No, they were originally, they were there because of the merit of Aaron. But when Aaron's passing, they, they left. And now they came back because of Moshe Rabbeinu. That's what the Talmud says. But um, in the Chumash itself, we don't find, with the water, we find the Jews were complaining about the water. And the Rebbe has a whole discussion over here about what, why don't we find anything about the clouds. Uh, did the clouds come back? Did we need the clouds so much? I mean, what was the function of the clouds? Uh, the Rebbe ends up that a lot of the functions, the clouds were still necessary, even though they were already at the edge of the desert. They were almost in Israel already. They were almost by the Jordan River. So some of the needs weren't necessary, but still there was some of it that was still necessary. The Rebbe goes through a whole big uh, calculation, but the Rebbe says, in essence, the Rebbe proves that there were clouds over there, and clouds were necessary. It was a necessity. Uh, but the Rebbe's, I guess, the question is, why don't we find that the Jewish people were complaining that they need the clouds? Why don't we find by the water, we find clearly they complained about the water, but we don't find them complaining about the, uh, about the clouds of glory. So that, that's the Rebbe's question over here. The Rebbe comes up with an interesting uh, insight, which the Rebbe says, the Rebbe says there were two types of clouds. And the Rebbe says, you know, if you look uh, closely, you'll see, sometimes we refer to the clouds as clouds of glory, clouds of honor. But yet on the other hand, we also find that the clouds did like necessary things for the Jewish people. As for example, first of all, it led them on the way, so they needed to know to follow the cloud. It also straightened out it, 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 the scorpions, the snakes, it leveled everything. So there was a lot of necessary components to the clouds that they did. And kept them from burning from the sun. Kept them from, so excellent, kept them from burning. Uh, kept them from burning and kept them from uh, from the cold and from the heat and from the everything. So this was uh, necessary components for traveling in uh, in the desert. Now it's understood that that provided them uh, that was glory a glory for the Jewish people that everybody saw that God protects them in such a way. But yet we can't say that their sole function 
was for the glory of the Jewish people. Some of it had to do with the fact that they were supposed to be protected. They were supposed to travel. That's how they essentially, that's how they survived. The Rebbe makes a point, an interesting point. The Rebbe says that when it says that the clouds of glory left them with the honor of uh, of when Aaron passed away, there was no more clouds of glory, it doesn't mean that all the clouds passed away. It only means the glory clouds. He says, you look in the Rashi, Rashi says that the glory clouds, they passed away. But the essential clouds that were necessary, they continued to be with the Jewish people. So, um, when it says that um, um, that they left, so the Jewish people didn't have really a reason to complain because they didn't leave those clouds that were necessary uh, that remained, they never left uh, the only ones that were uh, left were those clouds of glory just for glory and Rebbe gives a very interesting explanation he says um, you know, the reason we sit in a sukkah today is to commemorate that we were sitting in the sukkah in the desert now, what is the sukkah? the clouds that surrounded us there's two opinions in the Gemara, but the halacha and the opinion that we go by is that we were surrounded by clouds. Now, there were actually s- seven clouds. The way the seven clouds went, there. there's one on top, one on the bottom, and there's four sides. And then you have one ahead, so that's seven clouds. So, but we know the halacha is by a sukkah, you only need two walls and one tefach. That's the law. But if, so one of the commentators, the Mizrahi, asked a question, if the purpose of the sukkah is to remember the clouds of glory, how can we only have two walls as a sufficient with a tefah? Why shouldn't we have all uh, four walls? Further, the Rebbe asks, uh, why don't we have an additional remembrance to the cloud that went ahead? So we should have like, maybe in front of our sukkah, have an extra wall to commemorate, do something else. But the Rebbe says that the commemorating factor that we do is just for the clouds of glory that only served as clouds of glory. Uh, so the cloud that went ahead of them, or those clouds, some of the other clouds, they didn't necessarily uh, serve as glory. They served for other purposes. So that's why a sukkah has a floor, has a ceiling, and maybe two walls. The number of clouds is not always the same, that's why we don't have that um, and, and, and and another thing is also it says that when Rashi says that the Canaanite when Aaron died, it says oh, he says that uh, oh now the clouds uh, are gone the clouds of glory are gone maybe he can wage war why did he say Clouds of Glan, maybe you can wage war. Why didn't you say, well, they don't have any protection anymore? Well, not only protection, the answer is the protection they uh, still had. But yet the glory were gone. So they thought maybe it's an opportunity. We're dealing about Kanani, about the Amaleki. They were very chutzpah. They, they took their chances of them. Okay, so. Uh, so this all uh, explains what is the difference. Now, the, um, the question is, okay, so what, the way we're, we're saying it right now is, 
When Miriam died, the well stopped totally. That was a necessary thing. The Jews complained we need water. They came back with Moshe Rabbeinu. When Moshe Rabbeinu passed away, the well was gone as well. But by the clouds of glory, they never left after, even after the clouds of glory left. But the necessary clouds that were there to protect them, they stayed with the Jews for the duration until the end. But we don't find uh, uh, that the clouds of glory came back by Moshe. How come uh, the clouds of glory, the well came back because of Moshe, even though they left when Miriam died, but the clouds of glory that left with the passing of Aaron, but they never came back after uh, the passing uh, with Moshe Rabbeinu, after Aaron passed. Why didn't they come back, the clouds of glory? It doesn't say, no, that was not, 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 not because that punishment, but on the contrary. So the Rebbe explains over here uh, the job of, a, uh, of, of Moshe. Moshe Rabbeinu was the leader, or he's called the faithful shepherd. So it wasn't just like a privilege. What he provided for the Jewish people wasn't just like special privileges or clouds of glory like came in the iron. He provided with all matters that were necessary for what they needed. He provided for their needs. Uh, so, and you actually see something very interesting, which also connects us with Gimel Thomas, with the 30th Thomas. We see when Moshe Rabbein, when Aaron, when he passes away, when Miriam, when she passes away, so what came because of their privileges ceases. But the things that come from Moshe Rabbein, who was a leader, he provides the necessities for the Jewish people. They don't cease with the passing, even after their passing. Because while we say uh, that uh, the well of water after Moshe Rabbeinu passed, Rashi brings down, it's ceased. There's no more well is because they didn't need anymore the well because they were already by the Jordan and they already had other sources. So that means that the uh, leader, Moshe Rabbeinu, provided for them during their his lifetime and even after his lifetime, for as long as the Jews needed he provided for them even after his passing. Same thing is true with the manna. Because while well, we were talking about before, Aaron and Miriam provided the clouds and the uh, water, the manna says came in the schus of Moshe Rabbeinu. But even when Moshe Rabbeinu uh, passed away on the seventh day of Adar, it says that the mon ceased from coming down, but the Jews still had till they came into the land of Israel, as the verse states, uh, up till the 16th day of Nisan, and you asked before when they came in, on the 16th day of Nisan, when they came in on the next day after Pesach, they already were, they had food from the manna left over from that time. That means that what was given to them by Moshe Rabbeinu, uh, Moshe Rabbeinu didn't provide just luxurious, just the but he provided what they needed and for as long as they needed it. They never, it never stopped with their passing. Uh, which, what does it connect with the Gimel Thomas? It shows us about the Jewish leaders in every generation that even after then, they're passing. So it seems like physically you can no longer 
see their influence in a very open, revealed way. Similar to the manna, after Moshe Rabbeinu's passing, there's no more manna over there. So if you look around, you see there's no more manna coming down. But yet, there is a very statement that the previous Rebbe said about his uh, father, the Rebbe Rashab, when he's passed away, he says, that the faithful shepherd never separate from their uh, sheep, from their flock that they shepherd. So, uh, it's not only that up in the heavens that he continues, but he, he actually very uh, physically impacts all the matters that they accomplished while they were uh, a lifetime, so that it should continue uh, that from what their influence, from their mana, whatever they get, it's going to continue, the people are going to continue to, uh, to get it. Um, and the Rebbe says that, we see, yeah, go ahead, what do you want to say? Just, uh, well, I, when they complained that the quail came down after they complained that the mana wasn't enough, they wanted meat, the quail came down. Did the mana return after the quail? Well, the mana was there all the time, even with the quail. The question becomes about the quail, there's two opinions, whether the quail was a one-time thing or it kept on going, but that's not really discussed much in the Chumash, okay? Um, so, but the Rebbe says... You see also, the Rebbe talks about the previous Rebbe, of course, that the work that he impacted, like back in Russia in those days, that continued to for many generations, for three generations, and people, notwithstanding all the efforts of that government to uproot Yiddishkeit, it's still coming back and coming back stronger, and for many, many, many generations. But I think that we can say the same thing, you know, when we talk about the Rebbe, and we talk about Gimel Tamuz, uh, while the Rebbe is not physically here, yet his impact, you know, continues uh, to be all the time. I think that, um, you know, uh, the Hasidim of the Rebbe, they try to emulate, you know, the Rebbe. And um, uh, one of the things about the Rebbe, which I talked many times, was that he was very, very... Uh, radically devoted to his father-in-law, to the previous Rebbe. And, you know, like, by the Rebbe especially, you know, we say like, some people are like hammers. And some people are like nails. Which means, uh, some people know how to bang. A leader, somebody who has the ability to impact, can bang. Some people, oh, just in time. Some people, some people are like nails. What does it mean, nails? They they don't they don't know how to hammer in uh, something else. They just know, or they're just like a screw. So here, you know, uh, the Rebbe is like the hammer. He built a, uh, he's building a beautiful world, a structure for Hashem. And those who have a privilege, um, you know, want to be at least a nail in the <laughs> in the hammer of what the Rebbe is banging, you know. You want to be part of it, you know, so that you are used by the Rebbe's hammer, you know, to hang it. Chassidim, you know, their biggest uh, hope and their prayers was all the time that they should have the privilege 
to do something in the Rebbe's work, what the Rebbe is doing, so they should be like a part of it. So, they, so you have a whole box of nails, or you have a whole box of screws. Who says that we're going to use you? I mean, you may just sit in the box and stay over there and never get used. So Hasidim pushed themselves and they wanted to be used by the Rebbe. They wanted to do the Rebbe's shlichas, they wanted to do the Rebbe's work, and they wanted to be part of the Rebbe's creation. What the Rebbe is building, they wanted to be a part of it. And where did the Hasidim learn it? They learned it from the Rebbe himself. Because, because the Rebbe himself, as we know, was a huge hammer. Not only was he a hammer, he was like a sledgehammer. <laughs> and he was able to build and to construct and to create and you know with no Rebbe's talents and yet you know we stand in, 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 in amazement how the Rebbe is totally subjugates himself to the previous Rebbe all what the Rebbe wanted to do is be a nail on the previous Rebbe's <laughs> creation he didn't, he didn't and I pointed out today in the letters in the morning we read every single letter every single time the Rebbe refers everything to his father-in-law, whether it's a sword, whatever, whatever the Rebbe, uh, and we learned a very interesting letter this morning from the Rebbe, how much uh, the Rebbe was giving somebody, you know, he gave him a, a pat on the back, he says, you made a nice fabringen, you had a nice gathering, and you gave a shir on Hasidus, I'm very, very happy, but the Rebbe says, don't think that you're doing what you really should be doing. <laughs> and then the Rebbe goes over to a whole other level, and the Rebbe quotes from the previous Rebbe, from the Rebbe Rashab. The Rebbe says, you know, you're sitting there, the Rebbe says, you're lonely, you keep on, and what is your prayer? You're saying, you know, when is the Rebbe going to say, okay, you know what, you've done what you have to come back home. The Rebbe says, you're waiting for freedom, you know, that, Rebbe said, just the opposite, Rebbe says. I mean, you have the responsibility. Abishta sent you there. You have a privilege to be building something for the Rebbe. Why don't you create an environment? Instead of complaining that you're alone, why don't you bring some other people there? Why don't you transform the community? The more you're there and the more you get people and the more you create and the more you make it into it, don't look for you to run away, but rather you're lonely. Good. Don't be lonely. Make up something. Create something. And Rebbe is very, and he brings out very strong words from the Rebbe Rashab, which said that. But the Rebbe, all what the Rebbe wanted to do is he wanted to, he felt it the greatest privilege uh, to be of service to his father-in-law. That was his goal and idea of life was to do what the Rebbe Now, so the Rebbe was a big hammer, and yet... What was the Rebbe's goal is, is to be a nail. <laughs> Rebbe didn't want to be a hammer. The Rebbe was a hammer because that meant that he's a nail in the previous Rebbe's creation. So the Rebbe considered himself just swinging while the absence of the previous Rebbe. But it's, it's incredible. It's amazing. And it's just unimaginable to really fully understand how somebody with all the Rebbe's qualities, the Rebbe's being such a hammer and being such a <laughs> powerful, how could he be so radically subjugate himself and say, no, all what I'm doing is for the Rebbe. You see, the Rebbe was a very deep intellectual person. 
and the Rebbe could understand a lot of things that we cannot understand superficially. We see things. Do you see the Rebbe's explanation, the Rebbe's insight, the Rebbe's? So the Rebbe was a uh, a logical and a very profound logic. Uh, and the Rebbe had the understanding of human nature. The Rebbe understood the Talmud. He understood the Zohar. He understood the world. The Rebbe was just a very, very deep understanding, you know, individual. So, for so a person who is, you know, maybe has a little bit of understanding, it's easy to be a nail, you know, because, you know, uh, what do I know already? So, let somebody else hammer me. <laughs> so, they know better. But somebody who is on a, such a high madriga, who is always using their intellect and he's always understanding, how do you put everything aside and say, no, no, ideas don't mean anything. You know, I am subjugate myself because the end of the day, as much as the Rebbe was rational, the deepest rationale, it was also the deepest level of amuna and betochen out of nature. It was, it's irrational. It wasn't a rational connection to his Rebbe, to Yiddishkeit, to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. It wasn't rational. Even though the Rebbe can explain everything rationally, but that wasn't the level. It was a deeper, a non-logical connection and nonsense. You can't explain everything in Yiddishkeit, everything in Hasidus, everything about a Rebbe is you cannot explain it in logic. Logic helps you explain a lot of stuff. But at the end of the day, it don't make sense logically. It doesn't make sense. But it is something which is very profound. One of, you know, one of the questions we have, it doesn't make any sense, we don't understand, uh, is how come we're so long in, in, in exile? We don't understand. How come it's 24 years after the Yorkshire and what's going on? The Rebbe promised us Mashiach is coming, and you know what? How is this all? How do we make sense out of this? So, mentioned that the the it was interesting. The Talmud there is a passage. It, it talks about, um, you know, in the prayer when we talk about in the prayer we say, Hokel. We talk about God. We say Hokel, Hagadol, Hagibor, Vahanora, the God who is big, strong, mighty, awesome God. That's what it says. It's a portion in Akev. Moshe Rabbeinu refers to God. Hokel, Hagodol, Hagibor, Vahanorah. That's how we say it in the Amidah. We say those words. Then later on, we find in the prophets, in Yermia, and then in Daniel, when they were referring to God, they omitted one of the words. When Yermia prayed to God, he emitted the word Hagadol. He said, okay, Hagibor Vahanorah. There's no in Yermia. Because he said, where is God's greatness? Look what's going on with the Jewish people are in exile. The Gentiles are uh, destroyed the temple. They're all over the place over there and they're celebrating and what's with us? Where is God's greatness? I don't see God's greatness. He didn't say, okay, like a doll. He didn't say no great because later on you find in Daniel, same story. 
he didn't say the word Nora. He says, okay, like he didn't say Nora. Nora means awesome. So when he was talking to God, he said, Hokel Hagodol, Hagibor, but no Nora, because he said also. He says, awesome? Where is no awesome? Now God is awesome because how could all this be happening? But then we find in the prophet, in the Chemia Ezra, he says, was the Anshi Knesset Hagadol, the Talmud says, why were they called the people of the great gathering? Because they brought it back to the original state. He already said, Hokel, Hagodol, Hagibar, Vahanora. Why? Because he says, look, precisely because of the arguments of Yermia and Daniel, that how could this be? But look, with, despite the fact of all the enemies and all of the troubles and all of the sorrows that we had to go through, and yet the Jewish people is here, that means that Hashem is great and awesome because if not for Hashem's protections, we could not survive. We could not survive. They brought it back. It would not be possible if not for the greatness and the awesomeness of Hashem for us to survive. In a similar way, you know, when you think about it is, yes, you know, 24 years is a long time. But one would expect and one would say, well, where is the, you know, where is the promises? You know, where is Mashiach? Uh, where is all these things happening? It's been... And um, the answer is, if you go around today and you see the myriads of students, young and old people, continuing the work of the Rebbe, the devotion, the continuous connection, his kashrus connected, you see... You know that the Rebbe is still here with us. You see, as we learned in the Sikha, that the Moshe Rabbeinu gives us the material that it takes for us to survive and to keep on going. And just as the Rebbe, it is not just irrational. Our Amuna in Hashem is not only two plus two. Of course, we try to explain to the extent that we can. But our devotion to Hashem, our belief in Hashem, I believe in the Torah and our belief in the words of our sages. And, and we believe in our, the Moshe Rabbeinu of every generation, especially the words of the Rebbe in our generation. It's not just two plus two. So you can ask, well, it's 24 years. Come on. Well, how are you going to explain it logically? It's not just about understanding it logically. It's a real sense of trust and bitochen in HaKadosh Baruch Hu that Hashem will fulfill His promise and He will take us out of Golos. He will bring us Mashiach Tzidkeinu and we will uh, see uh, eventually, also logically, that all of our waiting was worthwhile and that we will merit the coming of Mashiach. So I guess the chukah tells us, just like the portion itself, this is not a logic, it's a... A statue deter even though we have to know that people might question you and they might tell you, well, why are you doing this? How could it be? Um, you were saying, Zois Chukasatori. That's what a Jew is. A Jew remembers and a Jew knows and it keeps the statue. But now maybe somebody has a story for Gimel Thomas.